0: Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is episode 13 of Football and Random Things presented by our friends at Iowa Diamond. For some reason, Jeff Woody thought that it would be cool to go on vacation the day after Iowa State is announced to be playing in its biggest bowl game in school history. So, I had to go to the bullpen. It means that I'm calling Jay Jordan, Cyclone Fanatic contributor and renowned football talker I'm going to tell you guys right now that this podcast is a marathon and not a sprint but every single minute of it is worth it because Jake has so much great insight on the game of football on the Cyclones and on just the trajectory of the program it was so much fun to to be able to record with him I think you guys will be able to tell that from the way that the podcast kind of flows it 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 was just like football and random football things. It is all football for a really, really long time. I don't even know exactly how long it is yet because I haven't been able to put it all together as I record this intro, but I know that it was fun to record. I know that I think, or at least I think Jay had a lot of fun recording it as well, and I'm going to warn you guys, it might be a podcast that after the first segment or after the Second segment, you like, you pause it, you listen to something else for a little while, and then you come back. I swear to God, if you listen all the way to the end, you will enjoy it because I think that the third segment was really, really fun as well. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I think that you will. Jeff will be back next week and we'll be back to our normal football and random things. We talk a lot about, or to start, we talk about the Drake game, some of the different things that have ailed Iowa State here later on in the season. Segment two, we talk about Washington State, the Iowa State defense. We talk about the Alamo Bowl. It's going to be great. Uh, so don't think that we don't talk about that. And then segment three, we kind of bounce around to a, a bunch of different topics. But I think that it's really, really fun. So please enjoy this podcast. We'll get to it right here in just a minute after a quick word from our friends at Iowa Diamond.
1: This is Iowa Diamond President Chuck Kuba. After 20 years of serving engagement and wedding couples, I can't help but reflect back on the thousands of wonderful folks we've helped and ask myself, How can we be so lucky? Is it our incredible ring selection or the quiet private atmosphere? Then came the epiphany. Out of all the people in the world, we make you feel like you are the most important people in the world. Because at that moment, to all of us at Iowa Diamond, you are. Visit us at iowadiamond.com or in person anytime. You'll see what I mean.
0: Join now here on Football and Random Things, presented by Iowa Diamond, by Cyclone Fanatic contributor Jay Jordan. We had to go to the bullpen. Jay, how's your cutter?
1: Uh, it's solid but my fastballs popping on the inside corner <laughs>
0: that's uh that's all we needed to know that we just had to uh had to had to call in the i assume you're a righty are you a righty i i'm a righty okay cool we had to call in the righty you know with uh with jeff somewhere sitting on a beach in Florida probably trying to tan that ball head bald head of his
1: <laughs> good for him i hope he brought a little sunscreen
0: yeah i hope so as well or else he's gonna look like a like a tomato when he gets back, but, um, (laughs) all right. So we're going to start this off with a little conversation about what happened on Saturday at at Jack Trice stadium. And I don't know how much there really is to take away from the game. Just when you think about the field conditions and and everything that was kind of going into it, but are you at all, uh, I'll start here. Are you at all discouraged by the way that, that Iowa state played on Saturday?
1: Depends on the context, I guess. That is, not discouraged in in what was accomplished this season. Winning eight games in the regular season, uh, I think, is a great step forward. It's the expected step forward. I think both of you and I, when we talked before the season, said eight and four. Um, that might be the only prediction I've ever gotten right, but um, but I'm I'm not discouraged in, in that. I was very disappointed in, I guess, the preparation for it. Um, It looked like, well, there's a very, I mean, you know this, there's a very uh, limiting factor, right? Yeah. The the field was like ice. Um, And so there are just certain things that you can do that Iowa State should have been able to do and pivot to, and they just just didn't uh, while the other team did and uh, that was disappointing to me. Um, at the end of the day, they did just enough to win, uh, which I'll, I'll take, but it was, it was not a stellar effort all the way around, and then you throw in some of the injuries that popped up. Um, that, that was, um, I'm sure, frustrating for both the players and the, the coaches in, in, in that regard, but I'm glad they played the game. I guess that can be part of the debate, right? Whether or not they should have even yeah. played it. Um, I'm glad they played it. Got some guys out there. Put them in an adverse circumstance, which pays dividends down the road. So I was okay with it from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really. I mean, I, I you know going into the game, I I thought it was kind of. I I don't know. I I was just like, what? I guess what's the point? And especially once. You get into it and Bryce Meeker gets hurt on Iowa State's first touchdown. Then all of a sudden Marcel Spears gets hurt. <laughs> I'm just kind of looking at Chris and Rob and I'm like, what are we doing here? Like what what's the what's the point of this when you're already bowl eligible? I know that you can get nine wins in the season and all this stuff. And I and I get what you're saying, that you're you're glad you play the game, you want to play a twelfth game. But once all of a sudden you see these guys getting hurt, you see how terrible the field looks. It, it just didn't feel like there was really all that much to gain, and I guess coming out of Saturday, I don't know what Iowa State got out of that, especially when you consider the fact that they weren't even able to get any of the, the young guys on the field, which was what, to me, I guess, seemed like the biggest positive of it.
1: Yeah, I think that was the positive. I, I, I still think that that was probably the intention um, going in, even with the bad conditions, um, I felt like. You know, he had the classic David and Goliath matchup. Yeah. He had, uh, you know, Drake fired up, ready to play. Uh, Iowa State didn't look ready to play and never really uh, found their footing with regard to that. It, Literally. It's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, you know, and that, that that's a part of it. I'm not, not going to write specifically about that game. Uh, super impressed with uh, Drake's plan and the way they prepared. Uh, for the game and for Iowa State. It's just, look, when it's when it's muddy like that, you really only are going to go one direction, and that's forward. And if your, your defensive and offensive plans aren't geared to go, going forward, then you're going to have trouble if you're going to try to make cuts. And we saw one team do that, and one team stubbornly try to do what they do on a well-footed field. And um, that that was that was a bit maddening to me it's also just a weird dynamic and you know i would have loved to have had jeff on because uh maybe he's played in a game like that uh as well uh in in my playing days we played a game like that and um certain and this isn't a knock on anybody because look it sucked what was it like in the 30s
0: yeah something like wise? that yeah it was like 35 okay or right around there
1: and it's and it's precipitating for seventy five percent of the game.
2: Yeah.
1: And plus every time you fall down, you're getting wet and colder. And it it is flipping cold and it's hard to get yourself to do football things. Right. I mean, one of the things people hard to hard to describe is that there's not a single activity on any single football play that doesn't hurt. Yeah. Catching a ball from a guy with a collegiate level arm hurts. You get a sting in your hands when you catch it. If you catch it on your bicep just the right way, you're gonna have a Charlie horse for the next three plays. Uh, blocking, hitting up against pads, falling down in the ground—all that stuff hurts. So then, when you magnify that with the conditions, it just—it just mentally takes something out of you. And uh, there are certain guys who are just love it, you know, who are just grinders. They—they they play well. Speeds probably not their their forte. And there's guys who just, just flat get after it and are, are good in those positions. And sometimes it's hard for a staff to say, well, I'm going to put in a backup here uh, because they think they're less talented when under those conditions that guy might be more mentally prepared to play.
2: Right.
1: You know, You know, like Jake Homo came in. Not that Marcel was playing bad uh, or anything, but Marcel got hurt. Jake came in. Jake played a really good game. He was a mutter is what I used on Twitter. Um, uh, Jaquan Bailey played, made a really solid game his best, at least in the last uh, two or three weeks, uh, wasn't affected, came out, played really strong. Um, uh, you know, David's always game Montgomery, uh, but it was pretty clear Brock had no interest in playing, um, <laughs> uh, Hakeem was playing hard, but struggling with the conditions, Yeah. um, I would have expected to see our tight ends be uh, really utilized heavily in that, and they weren't. But uh, it's just a just a strange dynamic, uh, strange game to begin with. They didn't accomplish what they needed to or wanted to with the young guys. Um, that's okay. They they had to win. They needed to win, um, and they did just enough to do it. So. I'll just kind of take it, we'll put it on the shelf, and right. then just kind of, as Iowa State fans, forget about it, I think.
0: Yeah, that, it was. I was kind of thinking about this during the game. It's it's interesting to just the guys that you were seeing struggling with it, with the conditions the, the most, and this almost makes you wonder if this is maybe why Drake uh, didn't struggle with it as much. Not, not that Drake doesn't have any guys who have elite-level speed, but they just don't have as many of them as what Iowa State would. You think about a guy like Kanae Nwongwu, uh, Tariq, uh Tariq Milton, guys like that. I mean, Kane had, I think, three kick returns where he came one cut away from probably taking it to the house, and each time when he tried to make that cut, he slipped. And it's like the, those guys that have that really high-level speed when j- they they try and put, plant that foot in the ground and take off at that same speed, and they, you just couldn't do it in those conditions. And... You know the other guys. The I I think about a David, uh, a Deshante Jones. I think that he played a, a pretty good game. Those guys were just like they put their foot in the ground and they run, and they're not, you know, they're not out there trying to make anybody miss or anything like that. They had a little bit less trouble with it. Some of those Drake guys, I think, are in kind of that same sort of mold, and it it was just a it was not a an elite speed type of game. This was a we're gonna go straight downhill and. Uh, and just take it straight down the the seam or straight vertical anytime that we touch the football.
1: Yeah, and I think we learned something about uh, football fundamentals. Uh, and I, I write about this a lot, at least in in passing or read between the lines stuff. But there there are certain techniques, uh, leverage being the the primary term, where. We're looking at the, the guys on the Drake defensive line were smaller than our offensive linemen, but that, that size advantage can be negated if you have solid leverage. If you're lower uh, your hands are in the right position and uh, you move with a strong base underneath you. And those guys played very fundamentally sound uh, in those, con- which is what was called for in those conditions. And were able to, uh, negate the size strength advantage that the Iowa State players may have had. With, they did it. Um, with go ahead. With
0: uh, you, you mentioned having that that strong base. Just at the offensive line, isn't that especially difficult in a condition like that? Just to get a strong base when you, I mean, you take a step and it's like your foot slides around for a foot before you can even get it planted into the ground.
1: Yeah, if you're if you're overstriding and you're leaning. Absolutely. Um, if you've kept the base underneath you and you're taking the, the shorter, uh, choppier steps that, that are necessitated, uh, really with, regardless of what the, the field conditions are, uh, then, yeah, not so much. You're going to keep your base underneath you, and you're still going to slip. Uh, you're still going to have, have an issue or two. Um, but if you're just straight drive blocking, you should be chopping your feet uh, through that drive once you have have. Contact and have your base underneath you; otherwise, you get thrown. Uh, we see that a lot with the Iowa State offensive line. I wrote a piece, you know, back in the spring um, about that, regarding the 2017 line. And if if you're, if the way you know your fundamental way to play is is taking a long stride, trying to push off, uh, and leaning to do that, then yeah, you're going to have a heck of a time in those conditions. But there's a way to combat it. The conditions were the same for both teams. Yeah. And that's one thing to come back, is we can use it as an excuse for the Iowa State uh, folks. But Drake did a much better job of dealing with it, uh, had their players uh, prepared for it, and or using techniques throughout the season that um, were more solid for that. But uh, that that that's just kind of a, a football one-on-one something you practice every day and something you have to have to bring to the table and it's it's actually a great emphasis point going into the um into the off season, into the spring to emphasize and, and trying to get this offensive line better to be better all
0: right so i really don't want to talk about this straight game anymore and i will say we to everybody listening we are going to talk about the alamo bowl uh in the second segment but uh, let's just talk about some of the other overarching things from the entire year. You and I did—I don't even know how many podcasts in the spring and summer, probably like four, or five, maybe even six. Just going, yeah. going through some of our, you know, some of our concerns, some of our different things that we were thinking going into the year. Let's talk about that offensive line first. Compared to what you expected from them going into the season, how do you feel about them now on? december 3rd uh with 12 games under their belt no worse (laughs) really i
1: uh yeah i i I had a higher expectation level Uh, i know chris uh was pretty big on that they were going to struggle and he was a little bit ahead of me on that um i i I felt like we would see a little bit better progress out of uh, the older guys uh on the line, uh, I felt like the newer, newer talent might um, might be an upgrade. I mean, they were better at times. Their best game this year was West Virginia. They yeah. played really well in that game uh, against, uh, and it wasn't because West Virginia had a one of the lesser defensive lines that we played. They weren't. They weren't. They're pretty good, um, and the, the offensive line played really well that game. Um, but they regressed from there. In the balance of the season and we saw the same problems over and over again week after week and um i was i was i was disappointed in in that progress uh because it's just debilitating to your offense and and causes you to have to do things and put your skill position players into ruts and habits uh taking advantage uh taking liberties that that um caused them to not be quite as effective uh, if you can't hold or get enough push up up, up front, um, and I, so so for me, I felt like the, the offensive line was was disappointing compared to what my expectation was.
0: So, what does it take to to fix that? Then is it is it just going to take new blood? I mean, some of the obviously there's some young guys that are coming up in the program, and I fully expect some of these guys. You think about a Trevor Downing and a. Uh, uh, Joey Ramos, some of those other guys who who Coach Campbell's brought in over the last couple of years, I fully expect them to push uh, the guys that are coming back on this line next season, which is all of them. And, um, I mean, even even though Julian Good-Jones and uh, uh, Bryce Meeker have both played a ton of football for Iowa State, I think there's some young guys who have a lot of potential that are coming up, and I would not be surprised at all if their jobs might not be as safe in the offseason as what some people think that they are.
1: I tweeted that every position on the offensive line should be up for grabs. Uh, I don't think enough was done this year for anybody to say that they're an established uh, lineman on this team. Um, having everybody back is great because there's lots of experience. They've seen a lot of plays, uh, but if but if success has been wanting, uh, I'm not sure that does. You know, there's a difference between good experience and bad experience. Kansas brought back a lot of people this year too um and it didn't necessarily uh, help their efforts so the fix the fix is is uh you know really at a very fundamental level in my opinion it's just continuing to drive and get better fundamentally there's also a a, a real challenge for the staff in going to the film room in the off season and saying looking at each player individually throughout the season and saying, which blocks do we ask this guy to make? Which ones does he do well? Which ones does he struggle at? And how, how can we adjust our scheme so that our guys are doing what they're good at more than doing what they struggle with? And finding five guys who are very similar in what their strengths are and then playing to those strengths – Um, at times we have a tendency to ask them to do things that they're, that are just hard for any lineman to do and hard for our guys to do. And then you'll see a play pop and something. And you're like, yes, that was a little bit different. Um, and, and I'll use the, the, this may surprise you. So, so the, the best adjustments in the offensive line that I've seen was in 2016. So the best period in the Campbell era that Iowa state has run the ball consistency was the last four games of 2016. We averaged over five yards to carry that, that, uh, you know, involved some of the landing runs, uh, but it mostly involved David Montgomery taking over, mm-hmm. uh, at the running back position. But that line, you know, was pieced together. We were dealing with, uh, you know, who was it? Uh, Shada.
0: Yeah. Brian, uh, um, Brian, the shredder Sheda.
1: Yeah, and Scoggins.
0: Uh, and, Nick Fett.
1: And Nick Fett. Okay, yep. those three guys in particular. Those three guys had limited skill sets, and Scoggins is my best example here for what they did in 2016. So for eight weeks, they tried to run some of their power running plays with some drive blocking or some uh, folds, fold blocking, which forces a, a point person, usually a guard, to to hold and pin while... Uh, My tackler center is folding around you. Um, And Scoggins just was not capable of drive blocking. He would get driven back into the backfield uh, in almost every circumstance uh, when those plays were called. And it made it difficult to move the ball. What Scoggins was really good at, best I've seen at Iowa State in his last three years, was pulling and leading through a hole. Julian Good-Jones was terrible at. It. Couldn't find his guy, couldn't make the adjustment to get to him in open space, but Scoggins had great feet, and he was really good at finding the hole and then finding his target when he pulled through. So they started running, like, for instance, the landing run play, right? They'd start, uh, put the tight end over there, blast him through the hole, and then they'd bring Scoggins around and lead, and Scoggins would find his guy, get a body on him, make a second-level block, and all of a sudden – we're moving the ball at five yards a clip, which is what we averaged during those four games. And um, he was really good at it. The staff saw it, and they started using him in that way during in the run-blocking game. And uh, also, uh, that's when Bugner kind of popped on the scene, and they'd use those two guys in concert who would combo block and get up to the second level. And we started making progress. I haven't seen since then or I've seen them searching since then to find a combination that uses the skill sets that we've got up there um, adequately to get that type of momentum and um, consistent production out of the offensive line. And that that's what I think is the challenge is go back to that, that what they did and the adjustments they made in 2016. Look at, look at all the guys that got, what fifteen more guys than they had back then available to play, and and see what those guys do well, and then do that. So, for instance, against Texas, I'm sorry that you were right. We're gonna get off on this because I'm gonna go nuts.
0: No, it's all good, dude. I'm I my, I knew that this was, my, my you, random. Hey, for, you forget that this things, football sorry. and random things, man. We we go wherever <laughs> we go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh,
1: good to do. So so against Texas uh, in the massively long piece that i bored everybody with last week uh there's one little sequence that i keyed in on and it was a david montgomery i called it 24 dive because that's what we would have called it back in my day and the way i i number and do things just a straight handoff straight to the four hole the uh the line is straight drive blocking quick hitting montgomery's in the line uh within a second of the line engaging Montgomery burst through, gets about six, six yards in that play. Nice, quick-hitting, running play, which Iowa State doesn't do very often. Frankly, most, a lot of teams don't do very often. Uh, I love that for our offensive line because they're pretty good at just getting off the ball. They're all fairly quick and they got off the ball, they got engaged, and Montgomery's quick, fast, and strong and can break through that line even with a small hole on a dive play like that. Uh, If you're going to stop it, then the defenses we play against are going to have to put an extra guy or commit somebody closer to the line of scrimmage. Then on the next play after that, we end up going vertical to Butler for 30 yards down the sideline because everybody's pulled up to stop a quick hit run to Montgomery. And I love that sequence because it um, covers over some of the weaknesses of the offensive line. Uh, holding and driving somebody uh, in a two-click or three-click blocking sequence is not their strength. They just struggled to get that, that going. Uh, that's why we saw the, the stretch play and the zone blocking start to work uh, against West Virginia, but even even Throughout the year, we saw more and more of those type of plays. We saw David getting those backside cuts and getting going inside out uh, for for good yards uh, because those plays had them engaged on one guy, quick step in the zone block, identify, hit, engage, and drive uh, with movement. And they were really good at that. They, I mean, not great, but, but they were better at that than they were at, at, at some of the other sets that they have. Um, so in that sense, Iowa State did. Seek and find that they just got to get better fundamentally uh, and find the guys who are going to do that very effectively um, as they go forward. But, but I think it's a challenge. It's a challenge. You, you get better by having talent, right? The first part of the equation is players. So you got to have talent and number two, it's fundamentals. How's that talent taught and what are the fundamentals? Uh, are they using on each of those blocks? And then number three, can you scheme to their strength? Um, and, and that's, that's the position I think Iowa state will remain in in the fourth year
0: of coach Campbell. I think that the talent is getting there, but it's just, it, it's getting that talent old enough to be ready to get on the football field, I think is one of the, the big issues. Cause I've, I mean, I've heard that, you know, Trevor Downing is, is the real deal. I think Joey Ramos might be the real deal too. And I know that you were in love with him, uh, during the, the recruiting process, but, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit somebody i i want to talk about is is someone that i don't think gets talked about uh enough for the impact he's made on iowa state's offense and that is sam seen buckner you kind of mentioned him a little bit earlier how much is iowa state going to miss him next year
1: um well my 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 bottom line hope is we've got somebody waiting in the wings who's going to be just as good
0: i think it's going to end up um, from from everything i've ever heard i i from what i understand is that in a best case scenario it would probably be dylan saner that 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 would kind of fill that role which he's a lot freak, i mean all of a sudden you go from sam seenbuckner who i don't know how tall he is probably six foot six one to all of a sudden having a six foot eight guy at Two hundred seventy-five pounds as your uh, as your fullback, which I would say he's got to be the biggest fullback in the freaking nation.
1: Uh, I think so. I think that's kind of an exciting possibility because what I've seen out of him this year, he's got great feet and he can move, uh, and and that's part of part of what made made Sam really good. Like I, I wrote easily in quick hit form uh, for the last two years about how solid. Seen Buckner's been and is, and if he's given the opportunity to uh, get to make second level blocks or, or blocks on pulls, he's just really solid. He, he makes errors like everybody. He gets beat occasionally, but not very often. His, uh, his fits and fundamentals uh, and, and toughness were the best on the team. And uh, he just, he's a hammerhead, loves it. You know, started out as an outside linebacker, which is a great training and fit for what what he did because fullback and outside linebacker are kind of the same uh so you see guys make that transition often he, he made it uh really well and it's just to the extent the Iowa State running offense had any success you can usually find uh Sam making a, a quality block uh in that process and it's just it's actually remarkable when you start watching the film and um How often he's he's a trigger point or gets a key block to allow for the extra yards, and and yeah, if they're not able to replace that, it's going to be another setback or another challenge for the staff to find a way to work around that. Um, But he certainly fit what they wanted to do, and I like the idea of Sainer uh, popping in there for him. Uh, And that'd be a good that'd be I've I've been wondering kind of what his role is going to be cause they don't seem to be committed to using him in the passing game much. Mm -hmm. If that's his role, then, uh, then I really like that. That's got great possibilities.
0: Yeah. I thought it was perfect that Sam was able to catch a touchdown pass on senior night. I don't know how many catches he has, but it's not very many. So it it seemed perfect (laughs) that that happened, but, um, that
1: was awesome. I got to meet his family down at the Texas game and, uh, my my Texas-born and raised boys were fascinated by their Wisconsin accent, uh, but they're they're great people, and uh, and Sam really really gave a lot during his time uh, as a Cyclone. He, he's he's underrated, uh, highly valued. I I assume in the room and and uh, among the coaching staff, they they were uh, they thought he might have been one of their more productive players.
0: Uh, to Two points. I I was listening to Pardon My Take last week and Kirk Ferentz was named their uh, football guy of the week, which obviously we don't talk about Kirk Ferentz on here very much. But he he made a point (laughs) talking about fullbacks because those guys are enamored with fullbacks and uh, he he called the fullback position the the graveyard for failed linebackers. And I thought that that was the the just the perfect way to to explain that. And it really I mean, it kind of described Sam to a T, but the thing with Dylan Saner that i think will add a new dynamic to the offense i think that he you know you bring up he's got good feet he can move really well as big as he is it's kind of surprising i i know that adam gray and i talked a lot about how it almost made you wonder when he got on campus if they would try and maybe move him to tackle which i from the beginning they've said no this kid is a is going to be a tight end. He's going to play the that F position because he can really, really run. From everything I've ever been told, he's. I think he's one of Iowa State's best special teams guys at that size, which is pretty remarkable. And uh, I think that he can even add a little bit to the passing game out of that position that maybe Sam was never able to.
1: Yeah, and, and that'll. Look, we saw the. Uh, What's what's the right word, Jared? Resurgence, maybe, of the tight end in the passing offense. Though can, I still can, wouldn't call it. I
0: was gonna say, can you can you resurge from something that uh, was basically non-existent after EJ Bibbs' yeah. career ended? It's like the rebirth of the the tight end position at Iowa State. That might be Re- a good word.
1: Rebirth, rebirth, maybe. But we're 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 just. I mean, just barely taking over the line of that. Uh, we we at least had a tight end catch I think in every game this year um, or close to it. So uh, there was at least one. And, you know, you and I have talked about this uh, on pods and, and, you know, off air um, and I've written about it occasionally, but um, good grief. We've got some talented dudes yeah. Uh, and there's an opportunity with the tight end to, to be really effective and, and, our offensive sets, and I, I would like to see a much greater commitment to that. And with Sainer Allen and and Kohler, uh, I think I think that opportunity exists to make it more of a a more significant threat. And they would have to make that type of commitment in order to use Sainer uh, in that role. But it, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, Sam's touchdown catch, and I think he had a. You know, they tried that shovel pass to him. Um, and th- those that that inclusion, I think, was an honor to Sam, but I also think they were experimenting a little bit for what they might, might look like a little bit uh, next year. But I, I think that's a great wrinkle for them to experiment with, using the spring and add to the arsenal for next year because, uh, yeah, those guys can run. They're big. They're great positionally. And at least... Um, Kohler who we've got to see make contested catches uh, they have a catch radius that's pretty solid and I I can't see any reason not to do that Um, but I'm also just a dude who sits on his couch and watches film so
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah and it it brings up another interesting discussion which this could go two different ways but the reality of the situation in the words of of Matt Campbell is that there's a guy with a pretty insane catch radius that's made a lot of contested catches uh in number 18 for Iowa State that it, realistically there's a good opportun or good chance that he will not be on the offense next year and they're going to have to figure out a way to fill that 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 void and that group of guys is specifically Chase Allen and Charlie Kohler are going to have to step up, I think, because who else on this roster right now do we know is capable of even – No, neither one of those guys is capable of doing what Hakeem Butler does, but you have to find a guy that when it's time to throw the ball up in the air and go get it, that you you're comfortable in the idea of him going up and get it. And right now, who have we seen on this team that makes you feel good about that? Besides, I mean, Charlie really has done a good job of that multiple times this year.
1: Yeah, it it depends on where you're throwing the ball. I mean, obviously, the last two years, the uh, 50-50 ball to our big receivers uh, down the sidelines and in the seams has been basically the trigger for Iowa State having productive offense. Um, So you either have to find an adequate replacement for that or um, pivot and start to throw in other areas so so the places where those guys can catch the ball or should be catching the ball are places that iowa state usually does not threaten right that is short over the middle and the hook curl zone uh posted up so to speak um the rpos to Kohler is what what we saw those those should be um increased we didn't really see butler i mean he would he would catch you know your your 10- 10- to 11-yard dig, hitch-type uh, routes. Uh, we never really saw him make a ton of, of out cuts and out routes.
0: I mean, there's a reason and he leads and, the nation in, in yards per catch, is basically yeah, what you're they're saying. Yeah, putting that yeah. ball
1: down the field. Yeah. So, so this, this is what I do, because I don't know if anybody noticed, but Tariq Milton is really good. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, he is. I mean, I mean, not just a little bit good. I mean, that guy could get open against – he was the, our only guy who could get open against man coverage. And I mean open, like create space, not, not just make a contested catch. I mean, create space. He can make create space. He runs with kind of a choppy, uh, uh, shorter stride, but it's very effective for the cuts that he makes. He's very sudden, and he catches everything that's thrown to him. Uh, that guy is a playmaker, so he's not going to go make your contested catch, the excited 50-50 ball, uh, down the sideline. But he's going to make a lot of catches in a lot of different places of the field. Um, Deshante has uh, a little limitation with regard to quickness, but but he's very effective um, in that that short short range. And we don't know what we're going to see out of Josh Johnson or Sean Shaw, right. who could be one of those candidates, being six six, um, or Jalen Martin or Joseph Skates, uh, assuming he can
0: I would say right ass- the ass- ship. Assuming he can stop being a knucklehead.
1: That, that's, yeah, that'll be important maturation there. Uh, but but there are some candidates. Uh, you know, I'd love to see Jalen Martin get on the field and see what he can do. Um, I, I think there are candidates to be able to do that, but they're just going to have to pivot and use probably some different types of routes. Yeah. But if you're going to throw contested balls, then I want it to be, gosh, what, what game was it that Kohler made? Maybe it was Baylor. Kohler was covered like a blanket in the end zone on the out route, on the out cut, and makes the touchdown catch.
0: Yeah, it had, uh, it, it, yeah, that was definitely Baylor. I remember it was a night game, so I'm pretty sure that was Baylor.
1: Yeah, I think that was Baylor.
0: Um, it might have been Tech, though. I'm trying to remember. but he uh, There's the one when he stood up then, and, and threw his arms up in the air like he just got done going over the pommel horse or something in a gymnastics yeah. meet.
1: Yeah, and he—I mean—he had a guy all over him. He used his body to shield him, stretched those long arms out, and grabbed the ball with his hands, uh, where there just really wasn't much room to make that catch. And that was impressive. That—that's kind of the post-up position I'm, I'm talking about. And uh, I have to believe that that Chase Allen can do something similar, uh, and and Saner as well. But Kohler, in particular, is. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Kohler or Kolar? Or? Yeah, it's
0: Kohler. Yeah, I I think it used – originally they put it down as being Kohler, and then I think uh, he went to Mike Green and was like, yeah, you say my name is Kohler, just so you know, and it was wrong on the website.
3: Okay. All right, well, uh, good it's, tonight.
0: I never know, though, because those, uh, <laughs> the coaches, it is, it is crazy how – I. they say everybody's name different and it's like each guy says it in a different way like uh Matt uh, or Eli Rashid says uh Matt Leo uh other people say you know, obviously I think most people say Leo. I think that it probably is Leo and Eli Rashid, who's his coach says Matt Leo and, uh, Tonga Moya, I mean, instead of Tonga Moa, I, I never know how some of these guys' names are actually said because the guys who are around him the most don't even say their name right sometimes.
1: Yeah. We'll just go numbers. 89. and Yeah. Uh, I can't even remember Kohler's number, uh, 88, uh, but my 88, my, uh, Lazy way of speaking, got it right. Um, but he uh, – I, I look, I, I think he's a. he's got NFL talent. Uh, I know it's really early to say that, but in my evaluation, he's got all the tools and continued development and production will, will put him there. Uh, but they're th- – those guys in different areas of the field, if Iowa State will have to attack differently um, and, and they'll – they'll have to retool. That's kind of the point of that, that long diatribe uh, in the part one article was, was there's some things here. There are things in, that we expect to see that won't be here next year. Uh, we're going to see teams play Iowa state differently on both offense and defense. Uh, number one, because they're good uh, and they're going to be, uh, you know, alerted to them. Number two, uh because some weaknesses have been shown this year that can be exploited and they're just going to have to pivot but they have guys who can pivot if all of a sudden that that passing game is is rpo based and um you know focused in the middle areas and you've got these huge dudes running across the middle catching the ball uh posting your guys up uh then they're gonna have then defenses are going to have to pivot again to try to stop stop Iowa State, and um, uh, there, there's a great opportunity to use that. There, there's more quickness on the outside than there has been going into next year, um, so you got to find a way to get those guys the ball in, in quick hitting, uh, quick passes in space so that they can they can run do what they do best so it's it's the constant challenge of any coach of any team to put guys in the right position to succeed using their strengths and not expect them to develop through their weaknesses you develop their weaknesses to make them more complete players but everybody does something really well you know like if you ask jeff what is what did jeff do the best as a player what do you think he'd
0: say i He ran downhill hard, I'd say probably. Ran
1: downhill hard. He was a hammerhead. He ran into people with leverage, and uh, that's what he did good. So it wouldn't be fair to run a bunch of toss sweeps to Jeff.
0: Uh, I don't know, man. I had a lot of success with that on my NCAA football dynasty while I won three Heisman (laughs) Trophies with him.
1: Good grief. Does he know
0: that? Oh, yeah. We've talked about that a bunch of times. Does he get embarrassed? No, he thinks it's (laughs) he thinks it's funny. We've uh yeah, I've always I've always told him that. But I think that they might have made uh I I definitely think they skewed the speed ratings though. We've talked about that before too. They made him a little bit faster than I think he probably really was.
1: Yeah, well uh you know, if you're going to run on the edge like that, I guess if you get the edge, uh, the contain blocked, then, then it really doesn't matter. Running downhill works just as well out there as it does inside. Yeah, But that was his skill set. You weren't going to ask him to, to make a chair cut like Montgomery does right? Uh, to get open and get yards uh, because that's not his strength. It's not that he can't do it. It's not that he can't get better at it. It's that that's just not utilizing Jeff Woody as a running back in the proper way. Yeah. Um, it's it's the same with with every every player very rarely do you have a player like Montgomery who can adjust to the play call and the style and be effective uh, right. throughout the the range uh, you you've got limitations and you see that even at the highest levels even with the the teams going into the playoffs you know the highly recruited kids they all have those strengths and weaknesses that uh that you try to exploit and, and utilize in the, their best manner. And, and, and that's the challenge for Iowa state every year. When you go back after the end of the season, you've got another puzzle to put together. So you've got a thousand piece puzzle sitting on your desk and half of it is uh blue sky. And you've got to find those pieces, uh, that fit. And that's, that's the challenge and the, the fun. I think that's what, drives guys like Les Miles to want to get back and Mac Brown to want to get back into coaching after they've left it is they like putting together that puzzle. And, uh, that, that's, that's, that's the challenge that I love, you know, just, just doing the writing and having the great opportunity you and Chris give me to, uh, you know, talk and write on this is, is what, what am I really doing there? I'm really just looking at the puzzle pieces, looking at the puzzle and how they fit together and trying to suggest ways that or, or inform ways that either uh, the pieces didn't fit or the pieces could fit better uh, in order to see Iowa State continue to, to win and progress. And, and you know, I, I wrote, I think, the baseline here. I think if nothing else this season, we just set the baseline higher. Uh, the, you know, we won one more game than we did the year before, but I think the competitiveness, the position, and the quality uh, of the games that we were playing in uh, the comeback from the disappointing start, all of that sets the program up at a higher level where they are legitimately um, placed in that second tier of the Big 12. Now the question is, can we get to the first?
0: All right, we'll, uh, we'll transition into something else uh, off that. There was something else I was going to bring up, but I'll bring it up uh, a little bit later on. Uh, all right, we'll talk about Washington State, talk about the Iowa State defense. As well, when we come back, you're listening to Football and Random Things, presented by Iowa Diamond on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.
4: Hello, Fanatics. This is Chris Williams. There are few financial commitments you will make in your life that are more important than where to get your mortgage from. That's why I want to tell you about my friend Jason Larson at Gershman Mortgage in Ankeny. Here's a real review from a client on Facebook. Jason was amazing to work with. He kept in contact with us where we were at throughout the whole process. When we went to sign, he had coffee and donuts for us that morning. He was super kind and helpful, and we said we would refer him to anyone looking to buy a home. Now, that's just one review. Jason Larson, Gershman Mortgage, and Ankeny is an equal housing lender. Their NMLS number is 138063. Give him a call at 515-554-6177. Please tell him that Chris Williams and Cyclone Fanatics sent you.
0: Welcome back to Football and Random Things. Jared Stansberry, with Jay Jordan. Time to break down what everybody has been probably waiting for for the last 45 minutes while we rambled on about tight ends and fullbacks. Definitely didn't see things going this way, but that's because this is Football and Random Things. All right, December 28th, Jay, the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, Texas against Washington State. And Mike Leach, first things first, you're a Texas guy. Will you be in San Antonio?
1: Bought my tickets yesterday.
0: There we go. Dude, I don't think people realize this. You and I have never actually met each other. Nope. (laughs) It will finally happen. It It will finally happen. We've done all these podcasts, and we'll finally get an opportunity to meet face-to-face. Yeah, down at the Texas
1: game, it was great because uh, I got to see Chris, and I, that was the second time I've gotten to spend a little time with Chris, and that, that uh, was good uh, face-to-face, and you can get me off the record and realize I'm nah. not quite as big of a nerd as I sound on oh, podcasts. And Dude, we writing, love it. But, we love it. But pretty pretty close, but it was neat to be able to walk around and just shake some hands and, and just see uh, other Cyclones. So this will be – because we'll be even more – uh, down there at this, so uh, there's no way I could miss it. I got the whole fam coming, and uh, it, it'll be be cool. So, so, go ahead, ask ask the questions. I got a couple of Washington State notes.
0: Man, I've I've heard about the legendary uh, breakdown session <laughs> with drink glasses and beer bottles on the bar with, that you and T- yeah. Chris had in in Dallas. So you have to promise me that, that we'll get a, a reprive of that. Before, so, before I go anywhere, sure. else. and
1: some, yeah, it doesn't take long. Uh, Keith Murphy grabbed me, or actually, I grabbed him because I just wanted to shake his hand He's when we were guy. at the at the tail, yeah, at the tailgate. He asked me, he walked into the bear trap, of asking me a schematic question. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I actually in the the article part two, which I think is going to drop today. I'm not sure when Chris has that scheduled. Uh, you'll you'll read a reference to and see actual film of what I was describing at the bar with those beer cans.
3: There we
0: so. go. There we go. Awesome. All right, uh, so I think that this game is really interesting, and it's not just because of the fact that Mike Leach is an all-time college football character, but this This Washington State offense is really similar, I think, to what Iowa State sees on a weekly basis. And that's where I think Iowa State comes into this not exactly at a disadvantage compared to a lot of teams that will face that offense, especially in the Pac-12, because of the fact that these are the kind of offenses they're playing against all the time. Am I off base on that, or is that something you would agree with?
1: You're... And everybody else are slightly on base. It's overstated, though. Okay. Uh, Because, so, Mike Leach is not the original. Hal Mummy kind of created the air raid, and Mike Leach was on his staff and assisted in doing that, and kind of the, uh, you know, godfather of of the air raid in offensive circles. Uh, But, what we have in the Big 12 are adaptations of the principles. Yes. So, um, Lincoln-Riley, Holgerson to some degree, not not completely, but Lincoln-Riley and Cliff Kingsbury are your two closest. So the fact that we play OU and Tech um, every year gives you some baseline for what you're going to see. But there are some some differences. Mike Leach is much more pure, uh, than, than those two guys guys were, but, uh, you're going to see super wide splits from the offensive line that creates space. You're going to see four wide receivers on every single play, at least four. Um, and you're going to see the ball come out of the hands of the quarterback quicker than any of the teams we've played. And those are all problematic. Those are all what, challenges defenses uh when going against the offense but if you just remember it's about space options and quick delivery um that's what it is and that's what makes it hard to stop and Leach is is, as good at it as anybody especially when he has a guy at quarterback who can who can manage it well
0: yeah it, it was it was interesting yesterday after the game was announced there were some other media members I can't remember who it was that brought it up specifically. I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but uh, they said something along the lines of if Washington State's going to go out there and throw it 60 or 70 times, maybe that'll give Jaquan Bailey a chance to to break the sack record, which to, it brought just like an idea into my head. I was just like, man, knowing what I know about Mike Leach in this offense, I can't imagine that Gardner Minshew has been sacked that many times, and he's only been sacked 11 times this entire season. And they've probably attempted as many or more passes than any team in the country. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm not making a bet on Iowa State getting a bunch of sacks because this is not West Virginia where you're throwing the ball way down the field or Oklahoma where they're throwing the ball way down the field to Hollywood Brown all the time. Gardner Minshew's getting the snap and he's getting the ball out of his hands as, as fast as he possibly can on every single play. Yeah, and
1: if you you think you're going to walk in there and bring pressure and sack them a bunch and that's going to slow them down, you're sadly mistaken, you will turn it into a track meet really quick. Also, if you think that you're going to just drop back and play drop eight, um, he'll run the ball 50 times on you and you'll get killed just as easy. You have to play balanced. Um, You have to, if you're going to get sacks and get pressure, it's got to come uh, in individual uh, matchups and/or line stunts or things done uh, with your your front four, uh, and in coverage you're going to have to mix it up. You're going to have to try to um, defend each level uh, in some way that, that presents a bit of confusion. But if you sit back there and you give him easy reads, they have a, they have more automatics than any other offense out there, so they see a certain look. You're not in position. They know they have an automatic call. They have a hand signal that will come from Minshew. They'll be on the same play and play or on the same page and hit it and get another first down on you or break a big play. And it's it's pretty remarkable to watch. But, but yeah, getting sacks, it's not like you give up on it. Uh, you have to do it in a timely manner, but you cannot go into a game against them and think that that's, that's the way you're going to defense them.
0: So how do you, just as a whole – how do you see this Iowa State defense matching up with this offense? I mean this and here, let's start here. What do you think has been the issue for Iowa State's defense over the last couple of weeks? Because I think that anybody who's watched this team would agree there's it, it it's been a pretty severe deterioration probably since the Baylor game, maybe even into the tech game as well.
1: Um and that's 4,500 words that'll be dropping on exactly <laughs> that topic. So I, I will try to just boil that down uh, and, and and really that article, it's long and it, it gives a lot of examples, but there's really one overarching theme and that's called what I call structural integrity. So all the engineers from Iowa State can jump onto that, that term. But every defense has what we call a structure. It's like a spine, and uh, if you have breakdowns in that structural integrity, meaning your lane assignments, leverage assignment, and um, pursuit discipline – which I described uh, in more detail. If if you have breakdowns in that, that's when you open up cutback lanes, and that's when you have what we would call busted coverage or running yourself out of a play. Iowa State has been absolutely remarkable since the Akron game of 2017 with their structural integrity. It's what made them so hard to play against and is really the key to that defense is that they do not allow their zone to get influenced. They, they were excellent at passing, uh, crossing players off to the next defender, and their defensive line improved by leaps and bounds and staying within their pass rush uh, and penetration lanes, uh, which shuts down and gives the ability to shut down the uh, The run game and provide pressure in the proper context without letting somebody escape uh, and run wild. And that's been the difference in the second or the last third of the season here is the structural integrity of defense began to be compromised. First of all, on the defensive line, Um, Jaquan, who struggled with that, has been fantastic at it this year, but in the last uh, two or three games, uh, started to take some risks uh, that got him out of position on the edge. Uh, The loss of Eny was huge in that regard, as his replacements have not been as disciplined and have broken down the structural integrity at the line, which is absolutely critical with the three-man front. Then you've seen Mike Rose start to struggle with some of his run fits and and his assignments and leverage assignments, uh, based largely on youth also, once you start to break down in the front front end in your structural integrity, your second level's integrity is broken down because now they're taking steps outside of their norm or their their assigned position in order to try to make up for it. Um, and that's created gaps. And then you've also seen that the secondary for some reason I don't really understand why. Um, they've become less they became less disciplined. Some of it's the routes and the concepts used against us. Uh, some of it's just, you know, mental, mental play and decision making, where they've been influenced out of position uh, with crossing routes primarily, uh, and it's opened up gaps in the passing game. And so, so when when the structural integrity of your defense starts to break down, you start to struggle, and take remedial steps on your own, and those ad-libs generally lead to bigger plays and uh, less effective defense. And where Iowa State's been fantastic at it, uh, they've struggled with it. So they've got somehow in these bowl practices to kind of put the discipline cap back on the defense. And if they do so, then they'll be they'll be in a good position.
0: How much of that do you think is can be attributed to injuries? I mean, obviously, any getting hurt uh, was big. DeAndre Payne getting hurt, I think, was big. Daytron Young, I think getting hurt was obviously uh, not exactly a a good thing, and now you've got a true freshman starting at the other cornerback position opposite of uh, steady Eddie Brian Peavy, and you've had some other guys who have had to to get on the field and and have had to play more that uh, I, I think that everybody knows how Jeff and I feel about at least one of them, but that's a whole other discussion.
1: Is that one that pops up in our
0: conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think a great deal of, it. I mean, it, it, look, that, that, that's part of, I was trying to think, you know, early in the year, how we were kind of stunned at how many guys were playing Yeah, on defense, you know, at least a few plays. And I know that part of that part of Iowa state is kind of wilted towards the end of the season. Um, in, in each of Matt Campbell's last two years, uh, they get tired. Uh, they look tired. and Part of it can be attributed to that. So I thought a lot, using a lot of those players uh, was aimed at trying to uh, be that. fresher longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but now I'm starting to think maybe it was just more let's get these guys some real world experience and try to build on some of that discipline in case those injuries do pop up. And, and I, I think that's been a been a large part of it uh i mentioned it on the on the defensive line um but 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 yeah they further down the depth chart you go, the less discipline there generally is. And that's usually not because that's not any knock on the kids. That's a, It's a talent and experience thing. Um,
0: There's a reason and, that they're further down on the depth chart, basically.
1: Well, there is. And a lot of times the difference between a guy is not this guy runs faster or this guy benches more in the weight room. Uh, the difference is does this guy know what he's doing? Right. And will this guy keep the structural integrity of the position and carry out his assignments uh, effectively? or as as called and generally in a lot of circumstances that's exactly the 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 reason there's a first team and a second team guy is is that difference is the preparation difference the mental approach to the game more so than athletic or pure pure football talent and um I I think we've we've seen that we've got good depth uh but anytime you've got to rely on your depth you're going to be more vulnerable than when uh, you've got this, the same same twelve guys out, or same eleven guys out there, and um, I'm confident that that had something to do with it. Um, but, but but all of that can be can be coached up, yeah. and and I think that's what's so important about being in a bowl game. You get what? What do they get? Ten. I never went to a bowl game, so I don't know how many practices they get.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's like 10, um, ten or 12 or something like that. I, don't, I can't remember exactly yeah. what it is.
1: It's 10 or 12 more chances to get more disciplined and to bring players further along, and it just helps in a de- developmental program. And um, I think Matt Campbell will have his guys, or John uh, Hickok in, in, partic- in particular will have his guys uh, back in a um, – a disciplined mode but Washington state can scramble you man they yeah. they get some they they can get you out of off your game in a hurry so um that that it's just going to be a really good challenge but one I think Iowa state to be up to
0: yeah and I think one of the positives of all of having to play so many young guys is you look at what Iowa state loses from this defense and Obviously, you lose Willie Harvey, who I think has been quietly one of the most productive linebackers in the history of Iowa State football. Uh, you lose DeAndre Payne, who's been really good for Iowa State for three years, and then you lose a four-time All-Big 12 cornerback and, as of today, a first-team All-American by Pro Football Focus and Brian Peavy. But you've also played a bunch of young dudes at the cornerback positions. You bring back all of your safeties, as well as a bunch of young dudes that have been playing in, at the safety spots the last couple of weeks. I mean, Richard Bowens was, I thought, played pretty well in the last game and a half in place of Greg Eyesworth. You bring back Marcel Spears and Jake Hummel and Mike Rose and Orion Vance, all those guys, and then everybody along the defensive line outside of Spencer Benton's. So there's, there's going to be a lot of talent coming back on this defense going into next year. And it, obviously, you, you don't want to lose a guy like Brian Peavy because he's been a great player for you for four years. But it's like, all right, at least we know we've got some guys who have played a lot of football for us that are going to be slid into that spot.
1: Yeah, and I think we, you know, one of those six podcasts talked extensively about the talent. Uh, the recruiting, I think it's probably when we were talking about the recruiting classes. Um, you know, and there are some guys that you haven't mentioned who are still waiting in the wings who I think have chances to Develop into really solid contributors at all those positions. Our, our defense is talented, and they're they're going to be more talented moving forward. PV is the biggest loss there because PV affords you um, opportunities to be more aggressive with your other players.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, when and the thing is, teams just won't throw at him. You know, I mean that right. no one will throw the ball his way anytime they complete a pass you look at who it is that's covering it you can almost guarantee that it's not brian Peavy. and to have somebody like that is uh is a is a huge advantage
1: yeah and um and look eyesworth Eisworth is yeah that kid is everything i thought he would be he had more he's he's a he, he's a gamer. Uh, he plays with great instinct and effort. I, I really like him. But yeah, you've got Bowens who got better uh, as the year went on. Um, I thought uh, Young was really a surprise to me. Uh, and really in the, in the, what do you have, probably three games where he was kind of the man
0: over yeah, there. I think he uh, took over. Well, they moved DeAndre to, to the safety spot when uh, I think that was for the West Virginia game. So then he was there for the West Virginia game and then when do they play Kansas? I don't know. There was like two games yeah, in a row. Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that Daytron started at that other corner spot like three games in a row or something like that. And he was really good.
1: And he was really good. I think you can expect that. Um, you know, Azuna got quite a bit of time over the last uh, couple weeks and uh, did a few nice things. Uh, Anthony Johnson has got great potential. I love his length and size. If he can just develop, and, and it's just a matter of experience with him and confidence, um, he's he's got a chance to be really nice on the corner. Um, you know, without just running down the roster, the, your point is is that we've got talent to take these uh, to take this defense to even a to maintain it uh, current level and and maybe even be a little bit better. And I I think that that's absolutely true. I I can't think of a reason why it shouldn't, or why it should regress. Peavy's a big loss. Uh, Harvey, Harvey had such a good year. Uh, he was out of position in the middle, uh, in 2016 and young and his development over the last two years has been remarkable to me. And he just had a, just a great year. He had some breakdowns against Texas, which I was sad to see. Um, but um, other than that, he he he's been just a just a fantastic player out there on the edge. And Marcel's great. Uh, they move Marcel around, and you know next year you get Rose, Vance, Hummel, and Marcel still. Um, I think he's a redshirt junior.
3: Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Marcel'll be back. Yep.
1: Yeah. So those... you so you got those four guys.
0: Yeah. And and those Absolutely. other three guys will all be. I mean, Ryan Vance is a freshman. Rose is obviously a freshman, and then Hummel is a sophomore. So you've got all those dudes for a while too. And they're good. Yeah,
1: really good, all of them. And and that's that's a as a unit, that unit that I thought I kind of thought if you know if offensive line disappointed me, uh, linebackers surprised me and were way better than I thought. I think they're really good. Um, and we're. We're in a great great spot on the defense, maybe as good as we've we've been just with the the numbers and the talent that's going to plug in uh over time uh and the competition that we'll have for for those positions. I'm excited that uh you know a guy like Cordarius Bailey maybe getting a shot at that defensive end or mm-hmm. Uh, to move into the linebacker rotation would be uh, really interesting. You got Tucker Robinson and Robertson, Zach Peterson and Isaiah Lee, all, and Will McDonald, all who saw time this year uh, at varying levels uh, a lot across the defensive line. I mean, I like it
0: for sure. All right, let's close up some some thoughts here on the defense and uh, and specifically against this or with this matchup against Washington State. I, just as a whole. How do you see Iowa State matching up against them? And do you think that, I mean, in the, the battle of the Pirate and who and John Haycock, who we have deemed the professor, the Pirate versus the professor, who who do you give the upper hand with a month of preparation?
1: Um, I give it to the Pirate because the Pirates got Gardner Minshew at quarterback.
0: That's fair. And
1: I think <laughs> – Think you're going to see? I don't know. I, I, I've got a feeling, and may just be because you know we communicate with Chris, uh, but we we both share a, a love affair with uh, Michael Leach and pay attention to Washington State because of that. See, see, my coach Jim Walden was at Washington State before he came to mm-hmm. Iowa State.
0: He was he and did so, radio for Washington State for a long time.
1: He did did it for a long time, so I've got an affection and have always had an affection for uh, Washington State, um, just as a as a program. And then Leach going up there makes me even more interesting. So I try to get my eyes on them as, as often as I can. So it's kind of nice that last year we played Memphis and this year we play Washington State, two schools that I uh, follow outside of Iowa State fandom. So. Um, So it's it's a pretty neat deal. And this summer, my son attended the uh, uh, Manning Passing Academy, and in his group of uh, player coaches, uh, Gardner Minshew was one of his coaches. So I watched him coach, and was really impressed with his knowledge, preparation. He's got his aspiration is to be a coach. In fact, that's why he wanted to go to Alabama initially was because he wanted to learn. Under Saban uh, for his coaching career, but then chose leading the country in passing. Over that, um, I think it I worked
0: out. Got just, for both parties.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's a, he's a smart kid. I got a just a brief opportunity to talk to him uh, while I was down there, and I like the guy, and I like what he brings to the table mentally, and and that's that's why the pirate would have have a um, have an advantage because uh, Minshew is is really solid at running their offense and. Um, while he's not perfect, you're going to watch, uh, a good, knowledgeable, experienced quarterback, uh, operate a good offense. And that's a, that's a dangerous thing. And, uh, I guarantee you, I guarantee you the professor will have something cooked up. Um, and it'll probably be pretty exciting at times, but there's going to be a lot of, um, more, a lot of bending and, uh, hopefully not, not as much
0: breaking. Are you were you as enamored by Gardner Minshew's mustache as what the rest of the country is when you when you got to meet him?
1: He didn't have it when I met him. Oh. Uh, he was he was clean shaven, and that that's been something he's he's put on during the season. But it's it's hilarious, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, I just, I think just in general, what this bowl game has the potential to do for the program. Uh, is, is almost immeasurable. I mean, this is as big of a bowl game as you're going to get if you're not playing in the New Year's Six. And uh, and and this is one that every single year people pay attention to. And the fact that you get to go against a, a Power 5, Top 15 team, a team that has been in the headlines the entire year, you know that people are going to be paying attention. You know that recruits around the country are going to be paying attention. This is a moment where Iowa State can, can certainly make a statement and show that they belong on uh, on this national stage?
1: It's an $8 million payout. Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest payout we've had in a bowl game ever. And uh, that that's huge for the athletic program, for football and all the other sports at Iowa State. And, and that's, you know, we, we don't talk about the, the money a whole lot, but, but that's a big deal. Uh, that's a lot of money. A lot of money that comes into our program, which is, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, or tenth in uh, revenue production among the big, big, uh, big twelve schools, and uh, it, it, it's, it's a big deal uh, to us to have have that kind of payout and, um, and that type of uh, exposure. But it just further legitimizes uh, what's being done, and it should be because it's solid and it's good. I think we all look at it and think. Is this smoke and mirrors? Is this something we're not really, uh, you know, we're pulling the wool over people's yeah. eyes? to regress.
0: Or, yeah. One hit wonder type thing, yeah. yeah.
1: And and I, I'm I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. And uh, I I just don't think so, Jared.
0: I think it's solid. Either. Yeah, I think so too, man. I think so too. All right. I've got another topic I think that can that we that will maybe kind of fall into that same category, and we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Football and Random Things, presented by Iowa Diamond on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.
4: Hey guys, it's Chris Williams. We're in the heart of football season now, and I got to tell you, I feel a lot better than I did a year ago, and I owe a lot of that to Dr. Kruger at the Ames Eye Clinic. Also, uh, their Des Moines location is they're called Des Moines Eye Care in Des Moines. Same guys. Really great eye doctors. I never thought that I had eye problems. I don't really have problems seeing or anything like that, but I was suffering from chronic headaches. I mean, it was nonstop. I always had a headache. And I think a lot of it was because I stared at a screen all day. Dr. Kruger took a look at my eyes, took him about a half hour, And I knew exactly what was wrong. Prescribed me some glasses that now I use while I'm on my computer, while I'm working for you guys at Cyclone Fanatic all day. And man, has it made a difference. I'm even sleeping better. I challenge you, if you have a problem like this, any sort of eye problem, to contact our friends at Des Moines Eye Care and the Ames Eye Clinic. You can check out Des com or ameseyeclinic.com. I would encourage you to do this and tell them that we sent you. Tell them, thank you for supporting what we're doing here at Cyclone Fanatic.
0: And we're back here on Football and Random Things. Time to award this week's Ames Eye Clinic Eye-Catching Player of the Game. Who else is it going to be from Saturday's win over the Drake Bulldogs? It's David Montgomery, 145 yards on 33 carries and three touchdowns. One of the best performances from David's uh, three-year and now two-time All-American qualifying career. For the Cyclones, he's this week's Ames Eye Clinic eye-catching player of the game, and that transitions me into our next topic. I mentioned something that would further legitimize the program, and I know this is something that nobody wants to talk about because it uh, we don't want to think about the potential of 32 not being a Cyclone anymore. But I think it's one that a conversation that needs to be had. If David Montgomery was to leave and go to play in the NFL. Okay, first, do you think that David is ready to go and play in the NFL? And if he gets a good enough grade, do you think that it would be the right decision for him to go and make that next step in his football career?
1: David Montgomery has no business playing college football any longer, in my opinion. He's He's got the talent. He's got the ability. Um, if, he's, if he's draftable, he's... Um, in my opinion, he'll make a team, um, and, and I, I don't. And this is kind of my own personal bias and opinions that I hold fairly strongly. Um, there's no reason to keep playing for nothing when you can go play for something, uh, and you've given what he's given to to the program. Uh, David's a rock solid Cyclone. He owes Iowa State nothing. Uh, we owe him a debt of gratitude for the effort and the leadership that he's provided and helping uh, provide these, these 15 wins over the last or 16 wins over the last two years. And uh, he needs to go, go do it on a, on the big stage where the country will know what a great player he is.
0: Yeah, I agree. It was, you know, after the, I mean, there's the, been the whole Kareem hunt situation, which is unfortunate on a, a lot of different levels. And I, I kind of, <laughs> yeah. I, I, Tongue in cheek, tweeted out uh, David Montgomery to the Chiefs. Um, just, I mean, just kind of being an ass, which sometimes I'll I have a tendency to do that on Twitter. If anybody's ever noticed, but uh, <laughs> somebody tweeted back at me, and uh, eventually they ended up in a conversation in in direct messages, and they basically said uh, that it would be if David were to leave, it'd be the same situation as Lazard and how. Allen didn't make it out of a training camp, which actually isn't true because he wasn't good enough to play in the NFL, which he's still on a practice squad. So like I said, which in the, is not true, but uh, and then basically just said that David is, is Iowa State good. Um, and I, I I didn't even dignify it with a response because I was like, there's a reason that every time anybody even has a conversation about running backs in the country, this dude is brought up. And that's because he is legitimately one of the best in the country. And as good as Alan was, we all love Alan. We, we love what he did for Iowa State, and he will forever be one of the all-time great Cyclones and one of the most talented Cyclones ever. But he was never in that same conversation of being a guy that it's like, yeah, this dude could go on the first or second day of the NFL draft. And I think that David is squarely in that conversation at this point.
3: Yeah,
1: Alan, and look, I'm – Close friends with Allen's dad. Uh, I've never met Allen. I've met other members of the family. But uh, I have great, absolute respect for Allen, but he had limitations in his game. Uh, Allen's route running left something to be desired at some level. Uh, Concentration catches and making the simple catch, the same thing we see with Hakeem, was a a problem for him. Um, His straight line speed was better than than what most people expected uh but its translation uh and speed and and burst in and out of his cuts uh wasn't quite up to uh the pro level even at his size so so there were certain limitations and challenges that Allen was going to have and and i think Allen can work on all those things and work himself into a a position on on an active roster
2: that's uh, a guy
0: who uh, will still play professional football for quite a while if in my opinion yeah Yeah.
1: I, i i i have very little little doubts about that simply because of size and overall athleticism but uh he had improvement to make even after uh keeping his his senior year david's quite the question on david is going to be what's his straight line speed um does he have breakaway speed uh he doesn't um i still expect him to run somewhere in the uh four fives four five five range uh but david's um every other aspect of running back evaluation i.e. toughness and power uh quickness in the hole uh vision uh pass catching ability and probably his greatest strength and you've heard jeff go on and on about this at times uh blocking ability and pass protection um he he would grade out and be one of the top backs in the country, and that is what you call a complete package. And a complete package like that doesn't come along terribly often, uh, even without the breakaway uh, straight line speed. There, are, every year there are guys we get excited about and have great potential with huge amounts of speed, and uh, it doesn't translate because it can't do any of those other things. Um, then you have a guy who doesn't have the 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 best he's a four six or four six five guy uh but he can get through the line and he can get 10 yards uh because he can read a block uh he can power through an arm tackle and he can finish a run and and david does all of those things i've watched i mean look i'm i'm no authority um certainly not a GM or anything like that, but I've had some experiences in my background with regard to evaluation of talent from college to pro and um, David checks all the boxes and yeah, teams will sit and wait on him because running backs are not a premium position anymore. Um, some teams may over overlook him depending on how he tests. Um, but, but as long as somebody can wait, uh, when they get him, they'll think that they got one of the better value picks in the draft because because he is he is legitimately a, a pro runner. He's not Iowa State good. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. Johnny
1: Lang is Iowa State good.
0: Yeah, I okay. I definitely agree.
1: I David Montgomery is is you put David Montgomery on any program in this country, he's their starting back, and he's in New York.
2: Yeah,
0: and I think even. I mean, it, it would depend, obviously, on what the, happened with the offensive line. But I think if he was to come back and that line could make strides, he would be in that conversation a uh, But that's what a the pro evaluators will watch. Yeah,
1: pro evaluators will watch his offensive line. If, if your offensive line is really good, you're getting big stats uh, because you're running behind a really good uh, offensive line, many times that will be a ding in the evaluation process. But If your line stinks and – you're still you're getting collision behind the line, but you're still getting two yards. That's the type of player who's valuable at the pro level, right? Because that's what you have to do on a night in, night out basis. James Conner, watched him run last night, right? From from Pitt, yep, uh, yep. and plays for Pittsburgh. James Conner ran like a four six five. Okay, I think he went in maybe the fifth, fourth, fifth, maybe sixth round. Incredibly productive in college, tough runner. Uh, I think David's better than James Conner. Talent-wise, uh, but but similar uh, in the in the type of back that he is, and yeah, the pro guys will know uh, who fits, and and David's the type of guy who can fit just like James Conner fit with Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, I would say it, it if there was ever if Iowa State was ever going to make a decision where they were going to put something up in the stadium where they were going to put names of of great players, which I I think that they should, and I know that I'm not. Alone in that conversation. I mean, you think about even a place like Kansas, where you look around and there you see Todd Reesing and Akib Talib and uh, obviously Gail Sayers. People names like that on the wall. Uh, if there's a, if there's one guy you're going to do it for, it's number 28, Troy Davis. Obviously, it's I mean that's a, a no brainer. But 32 is another guy that I think would. Would deserve to have his name up there as soon as you possibly could get it up there because he is going to go down as one of the all-time great Cyclones, whether or not he plays a fourth season of college football. I mean, that's that that's my opinion. And I I can't imagine I'm the only one who holds that.
1: Yeah, I, I I would love to see him come back, see the offensive line improve, and see him have the type of yardage production that uh, he deserves to have. Uh, but but the. Uh, <laughs> If you're really doing a deep dive on his actual production versus what production should have been there had uh, certain negative things not happened on plays called to him, uh, <laughs> I think his production is outstanding.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a reason that he's – it, it was crazy, dude. I On Friday night, Pro Football Focus put out a graphic where – it showed. I mean, this number would have gone up after uh, after Saturday, but he had like he had something like thirteen hundred yards after contact, and I was like, God damn! Like, how is that? I mean, that's that's crazy. The dude's run for two thousand yards in the last year, and what is that? I mean, almost sixty five percent of them have come after contact. There's probably another not another running back in the country that's like that.
1: Well, and and then if you take it another step and you're a moron like me and you start looking at where that contact occurs and what type of contact that is it's one look you can get yards after contact if I break break through an arm tackle at the line through an otherwise wide open hole and take it 60 yards I've got 60 yards after contact right yeah that's not what David had to do David got contacted two two yards deep in the in the backfield with a defensive lineman hitting him with his pads fought, off, fought it off and gained four yards for a two yard game. That's the yards that David got after contact, let alone the times he got 20 yards after running through, uh, multiple players, but, but he wasn't getting contacted because he ran into contact. He wasn't getting contacted on the way to a large game. David was getting contacted in contexts where, uh, running backs get benched and uh, you're not productive at all. And yet he still made that many yards after contact in 2016, his 1100 yards or whatever, 80% of them were after contact. And uh, we saw at least some games this year, West Virginia being a great example where he wasn't being asked to get contacted or make a cut or move on anybody until he was past the line of scrimmage. and, they couldn't contain him at all. Yeah, He was breaking 10 and 15-yard runs quite easily uh, on that, and you put him in that type of situation. Uh, but but that's what translates to the pro game. Right. I mean, because in the pro game, you're going to get contacted behind the line of scrimmage. You're going to get contacted at the line of scrimmage, and you've got to be able to make those positive plays. And that's there's some scouts and executives out there uh, for one of the 32 teams that is absolutely drooling at the opportunity to get their hands on David Montgomery.
3: Yep.
0: Uh, yeah, we're we're certainly. to none of that even really gonna none miss of that guy. even
1: takes into account his leadership, his work ethic, yeah, and the uh, seemingly solid uh, individual that he is.
0: Yep. Yep. Really going to miss that guy, uh, and it makes you really makes you think about the fact that he wasn't a first-team All-Big 12 player, but that's a that's another discussion. That's uh, a whole di- – that's another yeah, podcast. Not right even – yeah, not even going to go into that's that whole yeah, That's aggravating. Yeah, because like I said, not even go to go that deal because that that's another thing that will get us going for probably 45 minutes talking about all the different deals yeah, what
1: that, about – what's the that? The other guy you mentioned was Butler.
0: Yeah, Hakeem Butler. Yep. Who's
1: the, who's the other guy who has potential. My opinion on Butler is he's got uh, – enough flaws that he could benefit from another year of college. I,
0: I think he so too. I, my only concern, man, is I don't know. I, I Hakeem is a great kid, you know, and I think that he loves playing for the Cyclones. I don't know what the situation is with people around him that well. And I, I mean, I know that he has had a very tough life, and Jeff and I talked about this last week. And he, or I, I can't remember if it was Jeff or if I was talking to Fitzy who it was, but does anybody who read the story about him on The Athletic knows what his situation has been You know, with his mom passing and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know what that situation is. I think that he very much could benefit from coming back. I think that Iowa State's coaches would probably tell him the same thing, but I don't know what – who was in his ear to where it, it could be, you know, that he would not come back? That that's kind of what I'm saying. I think that I agree. I think he could benefit from coming back. I think a lot of other people would tell him he could benefit from coming back, but I'm not sure. At the end of the day, if coming back would be the right thing for him and his family, and in, if that's the case, then you can't fault a kid for making that decision. In my opinion,
1: I would never fault a kid for making that decision. Yeah, and if he gets a gets a draft grade back that's uh that's reasonable which i'd say you know third or fourth round grade that doesn't mean you're going to be picked in the third or fourth round but it means you have potential uh, to the possibility of getting picked during the three-day process um then then if he made that choice i I would have zero problem with it you know one of the other controversial topics is guys like we just saw justice hill today say he's declaring and he's not going to play in the bowl game and, uh, first
0: team all first team all Big Twelve running back Justice Hill that basically felt non-existent in every Oklahoma State game that I watched this year. But that's a, a, know, a game. Which yeah, which is
1: ridiculous because Justice Hill's legit too. Um, but I, I don't blame kids for making that cho- that business choice either. No, uh, I can't let, blame Noah fan kids.
0: for doing it. I mean, with no, everything that he with dealt no with, fans. everything he dealt with this year with that coaching staff, I can't blame him one bit. Dude, in, in
1: my, my my previews that I did in the summer, uh, the Iowa one was the most entertaining one to do because I was just kind of fascinated by their dynamics and curious this year uh, about them. But I, I made the comment that that, that Iowa, Iowa would be foolish not to have 10 targets per game to fan. Uh, I'm not even sure he had 10 in two or three games.
0: There were times uh, where I'm, I'm not sure he hardly even played 10 plays. Let alone having ten targets. There was one game I think he only played fifteen plays. Who? How do you do yeah, that? Yeah, and uh, I, I I just looked I don't at the exactly. I just looked at the Athletics mock draft because I wanted to see if it. Literally, while we were recording, it came across my phone. I wanted to see if David was on it, and they had back to back picks in the first round as Hawkinson and Noah Fant. And I was like, and now you understand why fans got so pissed off when he was not on the football field. They're they're both going to be first round picks, and that's that's nuts. That's never happened before. I can't imagine.
1: It made, makes no made no sense uh, at all to me when I, I I sat and studied for hours this summer the uh, Ohio State game from 2017 where they did just a brilliant job using the two tight ends, and uh, you know it just didn't surface. But that's a whole whole nother can of worms. I'll choose not to not to open, but, but that kid's got great talent. and You're going to see him be very productive for a long period of time in the pros. I mean, just like George Kittle's been, um, you'll see him. He reminds me of Evan Ingram who's been mm-hmm. hurt this year, but had a great rookie season, uh, with the giants at whole Miss. Um, he, he, he's going to be just fine. And he's made, made a good business decision because look at the end of the day, uh, I saw a quote I'll butcher from Stephen Godfrey, uh, with SB nation. Um, it was, it was, I'll just give the gist. I can't find it right, right away. But, uh, the gist was, was these guys are, are basically unpaid employees, uh, building a resume for, uh, a very rare business opportunity. Right. That's what you're doing in, in college ball. And, um, If you don't get the opportunity to build that resume, uh, but you're still a candidate for one of those jobs, then go try to get the job. Um, And if you are in the mix to get that job and in the evaluation, even though you may still need some additional development, go get the job. Right. Uh, Because getting the job is the hard thing and then the hard part and the work really begins, but, but. But that's that's the dream of those kids. That's that's why most of them are playing is for that opportunity. Even even guys like myself or a guy like Jeff, who, you know, knew that was, uh, you know, a massive long shot. If if even in the cards at all, still played with that hope, uh, still trained with that hope. Um, we never know what the breaks will be or who will like you or what you'll be able to do. And so you have that opportunity, you go get it done because um, you know, the risk you take every time you step on the field, the injuries we talked about against Drake, uh, the injury that happened to McKenzie Melton. I mean, how yeah. about that? That's I mean that 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 guy it, might not
0: Yeah. I mean that I was watching that play. game live and dude that was I, I am so I hurt so much for that kid and every time that I see an update about it I mean that I mean it was so bad that they the blood flow got cut off in his leg and I mean I don't think people realize you know how serious that kind of thing is and that I mean that hurts me to my to my core because that kid from everything I've ever heard about him is is a phenomenal individual he's going to eventually go on and be a I think a really great football coach and if if this is the end of his career it really, really, really sucks because that kid is, has been one of the most exciting players in college football for two full seasons, and he deserves way more accolades and recognition than what he has ever gotten. And it is it it is going to be incredibly unfortunate if that is the way things end for him because that just yeah, it, was, it hurts my heart, man. It really does.
1: It was he was the closest thing to Drew Brees that I've seen. Even though people try to make those comparisons all the time, he was legitimately a solid comparison to that. I got to watch him throw this summer and, and shake his hand. And great kid, just has. Uh, I, I just thought had phenomenal arm talent, uh, and obviously proved it on the field every week for two years. And uh, even with the, the coaching change down there, and, and yeah, hurting your heart is really is probably as good as our English language can uh, can care, capture uh, that feeling, but, but there's, there's McKenzie Milton on the, on the high profile end. Uh, there's, there's dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of kids every year, uh, who have the same, not maybe not the same injury, but the same type of, um, you know, injury related. Yeah. you know,
0: Think uh, about who, he, a guy like yeah, Bryce but, Love. I mean, he would have been a top 10 pick yeah. in the draft last year. And where's he at now? I mean, I, you don't even hear anybody say his name anymore.
1: Right, uh, the kid at uh, Ohio State, Bosa.
0: Yeah, which I saw in that draft. He, he's picked. A, he's projected to go number one overall now.
1: Yeah, so 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 he comes out in the TCU game and uh, tears his groin and shuts it down. Very difficult uh, injury to come back from. Very difficult injury to keep from re-injuring. Uh, takes time. So he made the business decision. He's already got his resume in. Um, and he made the business decision to, uh, sit it out and, and just essentially turn pro at that point. Uh, I think that was a smart move right. uh, and, and, uh, and understanding and grasping, unless you've kind of had some of those injuries, uh, how those progress and how those nag and, and affect, uh, affect you throughout, um, the play is, it's hard to do and it's hard to, to quantify, um. And we laud laud the tough guys, but a guy like uh, what's the kid at, um, at Dallas, Jalen Smith, the linebacker uh-huh. from Notre Dame, yeah, all, all world just destroys that knee. Has the same type of uh, nerve damage issues that, that Milton's got, and he makes a recovery after a number of years with a, a patient team, and is now having a very uh, productive year and will go on to have a productive career. That that's one in millions. Yeah, And, um, so, so you have that opportunity, you take it, you, you build your resume, you go. And, and frankly, I guess, uh, you know, for Iowa state and, and bringing it back to us, the fact that we're having this conversation, because when, who was our last drafted player?
0: Uh, Jeremiah George in 2000, whatever, what, what was that? 14,
1: 2014, 12, 2014. Okay. And, and Jeremiah's had a decent career, um, Okay, so we've had nobody for four years. Yep. Uh, which, last year we thought we were going
0: to uh, say which last year I think I still think that that Allen probably should have been picked, but that based on some of the people that were getting picked towards the end of that round. But that's a, again another discussion, probably.
1: Yeah, and, and you know Jake uh, Campos, I think he's still on the Cowboys practice squad.
3: Yeah, he uh, might be, or yeah.
1: at least he, uh, at least he was out of camp. If he's still on the Cowboys practice squad, yeah, actually in. Uh, um, in camp he played played very well uh, surprisingly um and has a chance to to stick and, and work his way way up at that position but but the fact that we've got two guys who could potentially leave before their eligibility is done is solid and i think there's some other kids uh you know that have have bright futures i think eyesworth got some future i think willie harvey i don't know that he'll be draftable um some people say because of his size he'll have to move to safety um at the the pro level, but, but he moves well enough to do that. Um, I'll be very interested to see if he's, he's on the fringes. I think PV should get drafted, um, at least at the, at the -hmm. lower levels at the very least he'd be a valuable, um, special teams guy. Mm -hmm. But, but I think he's got the coverage skill uh, to cover on the outside not the slot they'll knock him for his size. But, um, That'll knock his draft grade down a little bit, but uh, his production is outstanding, and, and there are coaches and, and programs out there that, that value production above anything else. And I think he's he's draftable. We've got some other guys with with NFL type type bodies um, and need some talent and development. Uh, you know, when Ray comes up, I think he's going to get he's going to be very uh, draftable. Ray Lima. Mm-hmm. By the way, he he moved a lot better this year.
0: Yeah. He got better, he last which year. is crazy. I mean, he was so good last yeah. year. And he got even better. And the production was was there this year compared to last year. But I, that might just be a product of getting another year of, of playing.
1: Did you notice in that Kansas State game that there in the fourth quarter when we got the momentum going that he single-handedly stopped a drive?
0: Yes. that That one play that he made on a third down, where it was like, yeah. Jeff compared it to uh, the the movie Princess Bride when Montoya is trying to jump through the door. That's what Alex <laughs> Barnes looked like when he ran into Ray Lima, and Ray Lima just stonewalled him. I mean, it was... Yeah, it, and the play... Be- yeah. He
1: made a stop in the backfield, the play before that, uh, disrupted the play before that, Uh or was in on pass pressure the play before that. It was like that drive, he decided this is me yeah. and I'm getting this done and he did. And that's that is rare. And if that dude uh comes back next year and he will. decides like, to yeah, do that he'll more. Back,
2: but
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and see, and the the other guy, I don't know if people notice this, maybe you have. Jamal Johnson.
0: Yeah. He is disruptive. Uh,
1: he he is a pass rush specialist from the interior.
0: Yeah. And, uh, he's and, always and he in the try, backfield he, lives in the backfield. in the backfield yeah it's and, crazy
1: and, and just because and he's playing behind lima in our three-man front but but i'm kind of curious i'd love to see a four-man front with him ray bailey and uh and Annie. um any out there i'd love to see that because uh, dad dumb That guy can rush from the inside, yeah. And when he gets his opportunities, you always notice it.
0: And uh, I mean, it's uh, there, there's some. I don't think people realize how how hard it is to make your presence like truly felt in the in, like in the interior of that defensive line by being disruptive and like getting in the backfield and making plays. Like the number of dudes that you can think about that really do that from a defensive tackle nose guard position you can count on like one hand in the last 10 years of college football.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. In college football and most of them are reside in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Um, or or where, where's
0: where's Clemson, Greenville, South Carolina? Isn't it just Clemson? Um, I think that's that might be. I don't remember. Or is it Clemson, South Carolina? I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. But, uh, Clemson, they they go to Clemson.
1: <laughs> somewhere over there. Um but yeah, most of them reside there cuz those guys are 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 hard to find yeah. and uh somehow we got we got two of them and a couple other guys who have uh, have potential to be disruptive but but Lima's ability to move down the line he learned to uh not just just penetrate but his movement got better and his pursuit angles uh were great and uh he he took another step forward this year uh, did he miss a game Uh yeah the West Virginia game one game Yep West Virginia yeah, yeah. He, he missed that game, but so the home, most dominant and, game
0: they played the entire year, they didn't have their best defensive lineman. Probably, arguably their best defensive lineman.
1: Exactly. So there, there's some there's some excitement, but the fact that we've got develop de- developing pro players is a uh, is a uh, a sign. My, my next proj- writing project, I'll obviously do some previews for the ball game, uh, but but the thing I'm working on right now is a. Uh, um, just kind of an evaluation of the roster talent and nice. to try to highlight the upgrade, and, and not just the upgrade, but the significant upgrade and um, talent that we have top to bottom right. uh, on the roster, and especially with this uh, next recruiting class coming in. Uh, hopefully most of it will sign um, here on the 19th. Should. Um, I I I, yeah.
0: I anticipate it signing, yeah. I mean
1: and that's another thing. We lose David, that sucks. We've got some guys behind him, but we also got uh, Hall and Brock coming in.
0: Yeah, an army all American and a four star. Man, who would have ever thought we'd have this, these kinds of problems?
1: Yeah, so so I'm I'm kinda jacked about that, to tell you the truth. And I'm gonna do some hardcore analysis on on each of those guys as a it'll probably be a several part series because I can't write less than uh tons of words that <laughs> were away to tears but
0: we'll bring a uh, we'll, we'll do another recruiting podcast too on the 19th
1: or well yeah then. that that would be that'll be great um uh, and that'll be right in in our our bowl prep time but yeah uh but yeah i'm excited about doing this kind of talent evaluation just to highlight some of these guys you and i talk about and get excited about and you you know i'm not up there but but you guys hear buzz around the room and, yeah uh, about and just uh, uh, see how that stuff stuff translates because you have the kids that are, you know, Butler, I think, was rated like a two-star, yep. uh, 0.78, 0.79. Willie Harvey was, too. Develop. Yeah, and they've developed well. Brian was, too, I think,
2: PV.
0: Yeah, he was either uh, that or a very low four-star. David was a, or not four-star, three-star. David was a low three-star. I mean, it, I was looking at that on the talent, chart or whatever it is on 247 it's crazy i mean half the best players on the team are all like in the bottom half of the of the the ratings
1: yeah and every everybody can do the exercise that i'm gonna do because i'm no wizard but um but essentially, two years ago, when, when he got the job, I was looking at it, and I went position by position and took their uh, you know, 247 ratings, averaged it out for each position, looked at every team in the Big 12, and did the same thing, and then looked at the overall talent, roster talent, composite score, uh, which you can find on, on the 247 site. Uh, we should be talking to Alex about this, I guess, but... Um, but you can you can do that. What I what I noted was there's kind of a benchmark for competing in the upper tier of uh, of the Big 12, and it was kind of an overall composite score of uh, 0.84 or better, uh, and that's probably moved up based on Big 12 doing a better job in recruiting over the last couple of years. So it's probably 0.845, uh, which was a level that Iowa State was not at. Uh, and in just two years, we're not only at that number we're we're higher and we're What's starting like- to pass uh, a couple of the other rosters uh in the big 12 uh, which puts us not only solidly just based on play on the field but in in overall roster talent solidly in the the competition for that second third place uh finish on an annual basis in the big 12 and and that's there and it's it's pretty easy to do and I'm excited to do. Uh, the comparison and, uh, and, and pull it off uh, for for this uh, written material because it's it's quite remarkable, and that that's one of the things where we we talked about this and it'll probably pop up again when Urban Meyer retires or whatever's going to happen with him this year. But uh, we're going to hear a couple more sexy jobs are going to open and we're going to hear about Matt Campbell leaving. Um, I'm not scared about that. No. I love Matt Campbell. I appreciate everything he has done, and I'm just as big a fan as anybody of, of Matt Campbell and his staff. But this job is not what it was when Matt Campbell got hired. The cupboard is far from bare here.
0: There's a blueprint and now, too. Will
1: be, there's a blueprint, and it will be attractive to a coach who evaluates and says, can I go win with what's on the roster now? Uh, when you look at Iowa State's roster now and what they've got coming, you're going to attract – uh, somebody who really knows what they're doing, uh, and it will be—it won't be a giveaway job or a, a make my mark job. It'll be an established job uh, when and if he leaves. no I would say, I'm it, not I, sure.
0: I, I don't think that he's going anywhere, though. So that's—I a... don't—I don't, I don't either. I don't want to advocate
1: or throw that out. Uh, I think it would. T- I just think it'll take a lot because I think he likes what yeah. he's doing, and I think he knows that if he can continue to do what he's doing. Uh, this team will compete and be. I mean, look, this year we competed for the uh, get into the championship game. Um, after who would three have? Years. Who
0: would have ever thought? Okay, so if you and me were having this conversation on December third, two thousand fifteen, if if two thousand eighteen me went back to that day, we didn't know each other then. But if we could have gone back and I could have said to each other, "I was like, hey, you guys will be preparing to go to the Alamo Bowl." on December 28th, 2018, I probably would have punched myself in the face knowing how I was in 2015. I'd have been like, "Yeah, you're an idiot." No no freak no freaking way. And I, that's what I think about now. When I know when we get to that game, I'll look around and I'll be like, "What are we doing here?" Like we I don't even feel like we have any business being here. It's like w- we just got pushed into this all of a sudden. We're now all of a sudden we're on this wild ride, and it has been so much fun. I I I don't think that uh-huh. we quite embrace it enough or or appreciate maybe enough for what we've all of a sudden kind of fallen into.
1: We'll think about the enthusiasm last year at the Liberty bowl. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it was because we returned to a bowl game. Um, now this year we're in, like you said, we're we're just kind of in that third tier of bowl games and third, with the first tier being the playoff. Uh, so second tier kind of the non-playoff bowl games, uh, and we're there, and just three weeks ago we win and we would have played last week. Yeah. Uh, last weekend in the, in the championship game. Um, that, that's my point about where the expectation level is and, and any criticisms that I levy uh, in the offensive article and the defensive article that's coming out, those are, those are aimed at tweaking and moving to where we win that game. And we play in the championship game, and we win that championship game, and then we become uh, top ten caliber uh, or competing for the top ten uh, in the country. Is that out? Is that stupid to say? Would we have ever said that?
2: No, maybe, uh, I'm, maybe, I'm right. yeah, I get, maybe. I get, I
1: get I get called an idiot, and I'm I'm not right about everything. Uh, we all do. Ever even on plays, the people in the comments keep me keep me honest about that, but. Um, but there's there's that potential here and that type of talent is what's being brought in. Yeah. And um it, that that's why I think it's important to try to point that out because we're at a I, I just sent out a tweet that I tried to craft in however many characters you get, but what uh Kevin Dresser did with the wrestling team um and the performance over the weekend on Saturday, that was the real news from Saturday, by the way. Yeah. And um, in, in being highly competitive and within a piece of paper's link from calling a pen and winning the duel against Iowa. Uh, he's done that in a year and a half. Yep. Uh, two years. Uh, building a foundation, uh, building a, a, a process for success. Uh, I think Steve Prohm's doing the same thing. Yep, uh, he's finally got kind of his foundational guys uh, in the basketball team, and is molding it in that that way with character. Bill Finley's done it for 20 years uh, in the women's pro- uh, program. Our cross country team uh, is fantastic. As uh, um, AD Pollard will. Uh, keep us apprised of. And throughout the ranks of Iowa State Athletics, Pollard has has led a tremendous vision of building a basis of fundamental character throughout each of our teams That where we're starting to build a foundation for long-term success among, throughout the sports programs and throughout the athletic department. Uh, we're seeing that result in facility upgrades that only enhance that. Uh, we're seeing donations increase. We're earning more money with the, uh, the television um, opportunities for the Big 12 as more teams pop in there with the bowl game at the Alamo Bowl. Um, that payout, uh, we're, we're in a really, really great spot as a university and a program, and it's something to take great pride in. Uh, Because for, you know, somebody who hasn't lived in Iowa since uh, he graduated uh, from Iowa State, uh, you know, you wear your Iowa State stuff around and you still get called Ohio State, (laughs) Idaho uh, around and that 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 still happens. And there's some confusion or you get called a Hawkeye uh, instead of a a, a cyclone. And that's not happening anymore. Nope. And uh, that's exciting to me. It's a great point of pride. And and I hope anybody who listens to, to this and is a cyclone fanatic uh, really appreciates it and throws out, you know, whatever contributions and love that they can they can do um, to sustain it.
0: All right, man. That's my just, soap, that's my soul no, I love this, it, dude. Two hour podcast. I was just gonna say <laughs> it's a it's sure as hell a good thing that Jeff's not here because we'd probably be halfway through right now. We probably wouldn't even be done with the first segment at this point
1: dude that that has got to happen i want to get on with you i want to get on with ben uh and any other get whitford in uh anybody else uh who's associated with fanatics who wants to come on and we can talk cyclones and uh, uh scheme and whatever i think that'd be fun
0: yeah well will i definitely we'll try and get for signing day i'll try and get jeff down here because it's the only pro like this is the only thing about doing it with you is that i have to come into the studio so just it's getting jeff enough time with as busy as he is which he always makes sure to remind us of how busy he is uh that uh getting him down to the studio and everything but we will make it happen i promise you and i'll try and get it done for for signing day i was going to ask you about the playoff we'll save it for later on down the road because uh this has already been by far probably the longest episode of football and random things uh and we didn't even get to the cfp yeah we didn't get to half the things that we said we were going to talk about
1: yeah there's a there's a there's a lot uh out there but that's uh i apologize i just like to talk
0: no no dude i love it it was awesome uh it's always great to talk to you my friend uh i can't wait to to get down and see you in texas
1: Sounds great. I'll be uh, be happy to shake hands with anybody and everybody. I just love uh, meeting other Cyclones. They're such a great camaraderie. And uh,
3: so excited to be going down there and that it's within driving distance.
0: Awesome. All right, man. I'll talk to you again
2: soon, brother.